People want more democracy, not less. It's time to talk progressive politics and practical solutions with Joy Silver. Outspoken from Radio 111. Now, here's Joy. Hello, defenders of democracy. How are you today? This is an important day because we're scheduled to have an election, as you know, in November. And right here in Palm Springs, we have Jeffrey Bernstein. He's running for Palm Springs City Council, too. And he has had a successful career in emerging media in the U.S. and abroad, during which he also founded a national AIDS organization. He moved to Palm Springs in 2009 and then opened a small business designed to actively incorporate more than a dozen area nonprofits. He's been active in small business community organizations, hospitality, and in the city of Palm Springs as chair of the Measure J Commission, among others. Welcome, Jeffrey Bernstein, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Joy. Thank you for having me. Really excited to have you here. Before we talk too much about your platform, tell our listeners why you are running for city council. Since moving to Palm Springs, I've been very actively involved in in the community with with the small business community, with the nonprofits, and in various city uh, commissions and work groups. And one of the things I believe is that We need to have somebody who is actually working for a living, uh, especially in the small business community, on city council, because I believe that there's sort of a different insight that you get into not only what makes the city special, but some of the issues that directly affect small businesses, uh, employees, and the residents. And I think I can make a difference. Do you think there's a gap between what is done and what has been done and what could be done? I believe so. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to discount some of the progress our our city council and our city has made over the years. I believe that there's been a large focus on developing and hospitality and tourism, which, which I do support. And a lot of that stems from past recessions, but I think now we need to really focus on, on the residents and what their needs are and what makes a more robust and vibrant city for them, not just for the tourists and visitors. So you're talking about reaching out to the residents, and what would you, a city council member, do that's different than your predecessor or the current city council in in order to reach those residents? As I mentioned, I've been involved in about 14 or 15 different nonprofits, and each of those has its own reach of residents and some of them will have specific interests from film festival to modernism some are are more reaching targeted groups the lgbt center desert aids project uh, and other ones are targeting different individuals the myzel and and shelter and library and each of those you get to see a whole part of our community which has their own specific needs which may be in relation to the nonprofit, but just may be in relationship to their daily lives and as a full-time resident, I'm the head of my neighborhood organization. You realize how a lot of individuals lack communication from either the city or city council. or just don't know how to find it. And I think that's where I can make a difference. Being able to communicate with the residents and getting, getting information out to them. In the, and I, I think it's called Palm Springs One. Am I correct on that? Is there that organization? 1PS. 1PS, yeah. So what yeah. was uh, 1PS structured to do? And what would you do to maybe strengthen that? So in a lot of ways, 1PS 
was was set up to do that. There's now about 50-something different neighborhoods in Palm Springs, and each one of those is a, a geographical area that the idea is to get the neighborhood involved. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the issues that's happened is that they vary in their, de- their degrees of activity. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, our neighborhood organization fell dormant for two years. Other ones are actively raising money. They could be involved in, in Modernism Week or other things that actually have a lot of income. So I think where I would find that there's actually a need is to reach out to some of the more dormant ones or ones that need help in organizing, like ours, help bring them on board. Uh, So, for instance, we found it very hard to find just a list of all the people in our neighborhood to contact. Mm -hmm. And that's something the city could certainly help with. And I think once people know if you can reach out directly to them to call or email or or knock on their door, you're more likely to get them involved. Recently, and I think this is pandemic, because of the pandemic, we've seen the preponderance of Zoom meetings, of course. And I would say that was across many of the city councils in the Coachella Valley, but particularly in Palm Springs. They're not they're still, as I understand it, not live yet. And one of the challenges with a live meeting is that it can get quite contentious. How do you re-enliven the city council meeting to a more informational type of meeting and, and reaching out to residents? Well, uh, you know, yeah, I have been to dozens and dozens of city council meetings and, and before the pa- uh, pandemic, they were c- quite contentious and, and hours run particularly long. And now I think you actually can go live to give public comment. Uh, they are allowing that, but also via Zoom. I actually don't mind the hybrid so much because I think there are a lot of people who can't make it to City Hall or they may have someone they care for at home that makes it harder to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, so that part is not, is not so bad. I do believe in the importance of public comment, and often that is part of the the contentiousness uh, that happens, but I think it's important for, for the citizens and the residents to have their voices heard. What I would like to do is find out how to streamline the meetings more, mm-hmm. and that might, be, might mean segmenting different things out, some of the presentations, some of the other longer discussions, because it's very hard for someone to sit there from what often is 5.30 to almost midnight, Yeah, and that, that is not really a great way to engage the residents, and, and, and if you're giving public comment on something that's not an agenda item, that doesn't even happen until 9 o'clock. <laughs> which is pretty late for a lot of people. Oh, sure, especially if you've been sitting there since the beginning of the meeting. You're absolutely correct. Yeah. I myself have sat through many a meeting that lasted way past 10 p.m., having arrived at 5 myself just to get on the um, the speaker list. So I, I do agree with you with that. As a representative of a particular district, do you think that you will be holding your own town hall meetings uh, absolutely. Well, I've actually already started. So mm-hmm. I, I held my first one via Zoom just because it was still there was a pandemic issue. But I've had several live ones already, and I've been doing them monthly. And uh, it's basically a chance for me to have the residents come give me their ideas. Sometimes they're asking questions, and sometimes they're you know expressing different points of view. But I think that's essential, and, and I may not be able to do it monthly when I'm, uh, if I'm elected, but I would certainly try and do it at least quarterly uh, and supplement that with, with email newsletters and other social media, which I'm already doing. 
now. Okay. Then you do have a vision for communication and streamlining the meetings, I think, is also a great idea, by the way. And I think they'd be more productive as to getting to the heart of many a matter that doesn't really have that opportunity necessarily, or you don't end up hearing from people who are waiting because they can no longer wait to express themselves on a particular issue that might be important for city council to hear about. So I yeah. think I think that's uh, it's an important plan. I, I want to go through some of your platform points, if I may. Sure. One of the things I was reading about in your platform for public safety, and something that I'm almost sure that many listeners are unaware of, uh, and I was very interested and intrigued by this, in the public safety section, it says, partner with our fire department in order to obtain approval to allow our paramedics to transport those needing medical care instead of using county-selected for-profit companies. Now, can you explain a little bit about how that works to our listeners? This actually is a statewide issue where most uh, municipalities were not allowed to have their own ambulance service or paramedic service and had to contract out. So there was a point, I believe, where they could opt out and do their own, but then that ended. And I know this is going to the legislature to to try and change that. So currently what happens is when there's a a traffic accident or another issue or a fire and, and and our fire department shows up, they need to wait for the county ambulance service to transport that person to the hospital, which and sometimes can work fine, but it's a for-profit company that is doing this. And if they're late, if they don't make the amount of time, they're fined. And that's the extent of it. And this is something which I know our fire department, I, I was unaware of this until I really started talking to our fire department extensively. And, and it's something that they've been trying to change. And it's something that I think needs a lot of city support to get it through the legislature to be able to happen. This is a very important point, I think, Jeffrey. So how do you change that, though? Well, it takes a lot of pressure from the cities. Mm -hmm. uh, And that's where I think it is. And I I think there's a lot of awareness that needs to happen. You know, as I said, this is not something I, you know, and I'm pretty connected. I was not fully aware of all this. Mm -hmm. And I think there needs to be reports on how often, how long the time, the response time is for these ambulance services, how often they're late, uh, what kind of fines are being paid, how much does it cost? for the city uh, uh, that is being paid for them? And is there a more efficient way to do it? Now, there are some things that we can do ourselves, which is basically having our own paramedics that can handle on-site treatment, but that doesn't solve the full problem. Mm -hmm. And so this is something that I don't, you know, we we have a tremendous problem in our city with a lot of traffic accidents. So it's more, becomes more of an issue here than often in other places. Mm-hmm. I think that's true also because, um, of course, people do retire. I mean, it's our it's our demographic as well that we do see uh, the need for ambulances uh, more frequently. As yep. in, in, and that's generally in, in many of the cities in the Coachella Valley have that particular issue on the demographics. So I think uh, I think you're really on to something there. And I'm going to be very interested to see where that may take us. And I think, like yourself, I think many of us have not been aware, as particularly that we have for-profit organizations and companies that are providing that service at this point in time. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly the point. And, and, you know, safety should not be a for-profit business. Absolutely. I totally agree with you there. I want to go into housing a little bit, but one of your platform points is see a timely completion of the new navigation center and ensure minimal negative impact on the community. There's two questions I have about that. First of all, um, is that not a county project? 
Uh, it is both the city and the county are involved. So the city's economic development uh, department is uh, involved with it, and they are they have their staff uh, working on it. And then the county is also involved. So and then now we've got, we've gotten a state grant as well. Mm-hmm. But it's mainly this county and the city that are involved. And I think since this is our city and, and it affects us obviously the most is something that we need to push from within mm-hmm. um we have seen particularly in social services where there were you know things were county responsibilities historically palm springs has said that this is really this is a county obligation and sort of left it and that has not always worked mm-hmm. and i think we as a city need to take a more active role and there are certain things within this particular project with the home with the home key money that came from the state the 19 million does require it to be completed in 12 months and then open, have basically heads and beds within 90 days after that. Mm -hmm. So there is a time limit for it. For the access to the money, you mean, to the funding? Yeah. I mean, the funding is granted based based upon the time of completion. Yeah, Yeah, a completion requirement. I'm wondering there, too, though. I mean, one of the issues about services and services in general is that it's reliant on rebudgeting and reapportionment and, and, and decision-making processes repeatedly, rather than it just being a line item for social services or behavioral health yeah. services that may be necessary to supply services to something like a navigation center. And I think there's, a, there's fear sometimes with residents who are concerned what happens if there's no more money for social services or behavioral health services for the actual concrete residence itself, what happens then? And does, so does the city step in or is there a line item in the city that can help with the services portion of this? Well, this 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 is a big issue because, yeah. because with all of the funding that's become available, I think it was 19 million from the state, 7 million or 9 million from the county and, and as well as money from the city, I think this is funded to be built and operate for six years. Mm-hmm. And it is not clear what happens after that. Yeah. yeah. Now, that is a big issue. And it's, you know, I mean, it would be wonderful if the homeless problem ended by then. But I, I doubt that's a reality. We may make some significant inroads, so we don't need as much of an expense. But I think we need to look ahead for that. So, Jeffrey, that that brings me to, and that's part of the the question there, because uh, you talk about ensuring a minimal impact on current residents. And how do you do that? I mean, basically, you're talking about an emergency situation. It's not going to necessarily stop the the components of what makes up the challenges and and issues that, that bring people to the unhoused moment. But it is an emergency solution to what is all what already exists. It's a yeah. complex problem, and I think one of the issues that I constantly see, certainly in, in residents' comments on things like um, certain social media and perhaps something like a next door, is that people believe that city council can solve the problem. And I think you can yeah. mitigate what exists, but the solution to that problem is far bigger than any one city council can come up with in its entirety of what causes the challenge and issue of that. Yeah. So there's there's three parts to this. So the first part is how to, what I think what I referred to in the beginning was mitigating the negative impact on the community. Because mm-hmm. the fact is that this is being built in a part of Palm Springs, which has often received lack of attention 
is often seen as, especially by some of the residents, as a dumping ground for, for services and things like this. It's often seen as where there's too many liquor stores and pot dispensaries and things like that. And so from the very beginning, this was clear, it wasn't an ideal location for that reason. There was other issues which, which when, when at least I, when I saw the options, there was a, a valid option for this. But there's a couple things within the contract with the current service provider, which is you know, 24-7 security to ensure there's no loitering outside. I believe the plan is to minimize sort of drop in, drop out, you know, walk out access to the center, which is something which often causes problems. You want you want people to be registered. You want them to be known. You want them to be the idea is to navigate them from homelessness into getting housed, employment and what other services they need. Mm-hmm. So that's part of the issue is making sure that it, it doesn't just really negatively impact the neighborhood around them. Mm-hmm. The second part is that. What, unfortunately, some cities have done is they've chosen just to sweep out the homeless uh, and move them on to some other city, which may be one of the reasons Palm Springs sees more than than other cities, because we do try to help them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we have a lot of social services here compared to other cities. It may not be enough, but we do have a lot. And there's always a conflict because the humanitarian says these people need help, and, and that's our job is humans and residents is to help them. But we are clearly seeing a negative impact on businesses and communities and the residents. So that is an issue. In terms of the long-term funding and planning, mm-hmm. and this is where I think you know, my business experience may help somewhat, is that there are, many, there are examples of other navigation centers that have created revenue-earning sectors of their operation. Mm-hmm. that help fund their operations. And that's something that I think we should look to develop here. Mm-hmm. And those things have been quite successful. There's been examples of, of places making, you know, creating bakeries or, or food service operations, which also trains people mm-hmm. uh, for employment. And I think that's something that we should look at because if you don't give people the tools to survive on their own, they are more likely to come back, you know, revert back to homelessness and go back to the cycle. Mm-hmm. That will be quite an interesting <laughs> exercise as to, well, basically creating small business, which is something that you have a lot well, of experience with. So, I'll give you a perfect example of something, which yeah. I'm already trying to make happen, is that the same area where this navigation center is going in has suffered because they don't have a grocery store there. Right, it's a food desert. They don't have access to fresh food. It's a food desert. Mm -hmm. And every time they build something, there's a new one going up. They promise they'll have fresh food, but they end up being more of a gas station mini market. Okay. Um, Now, what I've seen is places that have created food Mm -hmm. co-ops. When I was in New York, there was was one that was actually just co-op within a neighborhood and one that was really staffed by a formerly unhoused people. And I think that is something that we could look at because I know they've been trying to get a grocery store up there. And and quite honestly, I think it's been a waste of money because the grocery stores look hard at numbers and they're not going to see the the revenue, especially with so many other grocery stores in our city. But creating a food co-op is something that, you know, we have business expertise here. Mm Mm-hmm. If you create an actual nonprofit, it's something that people feel that they could donate to. 
we have local farms and we have people with knowledge. We have a certified farmer's market and we have, um, uh, we have a fine food bank and, and they're a resource for information. For uh, information, There are grants for places that can build a food outlet and distribution in food deserts. So that's something that is separate from, from the navigation center funding. And I think it's something that the, not just the community, that the city would actually embrace. I'm very yeah. interested in seeing where that goes. I think it's a it's a good yeah. idea, and certainly if you're elected or when you're elected, Jeffrey, I will be most interested in that particular aspect of development. And that brings me to another question, uh, one of your platforms for economic development, actually, and it says on your website, develop new revenue sources for the city so tourism is not our sole industry. So what were what are some of the ideas that you might have for that? How do you see Palm well, Springs growing beyond tourism? This is obviously a challenge because it is our, our, our primary business. What we have seen, especially in the last few years, is that it is far easier for people to work remotely. And um, we need to build up some certain infrastructure in terms of, of our broadband here. But we can build that up. And what you also see, though, is that a lot with all of our development and construction, we don't actually have a lot of, use a lot of our local workforce or build up our local workforce in that area. Mm-hmm. So that's certainly something, you know, and now we do have a community workforce agreement, so I'm hopeful that, that will help. Um, and the other big thing is medical training. And interestingly, we have the headquarters for the United States Canadian Association of Pathologists here in Palm Springs. Hmm. And it's a major training center for that. Right. Uh, and they have people from all over the world come. All of the na- national and international conferences are developed here. And given the amount of medical facilities we have here and the expertise, I think that becomes a greater uh, opportunity. You know, and I'm not talking about big manufacturing. I'm talking about revenue sources that come from other means. You know, there is discussion about fulfillment centers, and, and yes, they can create brand new revenue streams, uh, they have a lot of pros and cons, and, and that might be another option. But I think that is, you know, that is another thing. Well, we're, we're looking but, for something beyond minimum wage jobs, I think. And yeah. so if we're looking at fulfillment centers and we're looking at service jobs, we're not really getting beyond that. And what you're proposing does seem different than that. And so that I, that's an interesting vision, particularly for health and medical using resources that already exist, but that Palm Springs itself doesn't may not be taking advantage of in a way that it can. One of the things that I saw in your uh, platform for sustainability, and I wanted to just find out, it says expand our use of available renewable energy sources. And I'm not quite sure. It's an idea, but what exactly do you mean by expand our use of available renewable energy sources? Primarily what I'm looking at is there's two things. One, for new commercial development, it all has to be LEED certified, but there's different levels of being LEED certified. You know, there's basic, I think it's bronze, silver, platinum, gold. I'm not sure exactly what the terminology is. And I think we need to strive for the best. Um, I think we need to look at, in residential, we build houses that are solar ready, but they're not always solar mandated. And it's often quite expensive. And we don't look at ways in which we as a city can either group by or facilitate that. But the other big thing is that with 
commercial development is not built solar now. Mm-hmm. And existing commercial development, I know there are discussions about retrofitting a percentage of it, but it is uh, a, a big issue. I mean, I, I've rented, I still I rent two warehouse houses right now for my business, and I've done others. They are flat roofs out in a commercial district. They are not solar ready. And primarily the reason for this, that the lack of energy efficiency, is that tenants pay all the utilities. Mm-hmm. So the landlords don't really have the same incentive to um, to make it energy efficient in, in, in any way. I mean, whether it's lights or solar or, or insulation. Um, and that's a bit of a problem because I've actually, in my cases, I've asked to put it on and they've said no. And, and even if I tried to find a way to, to lease, it would not be possible. Mm-hmm. And so we have these large spaces that are not taking use of our of our um, renewable resources we have right here, which is basically sun. Well, I and must. I have yeah. to say, Jeffrey, you've thought of many, many things uh, yeah. for your platform, and it's been uh, quite wonderful to have this discussion with you. If our listeners could find you and support your campaign, what would they do? Well, first you can go to my website, which is jeffrey4ps.com, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y-F-O-R-P-S.com. Uh, and you can sign up there to, to learn more about me, to contact me, to, to become a volunteer, uh, to donate, to endorse, to read more about me. I, I welcome questions and I welcome comments. Thank you so much, Jeffrey Bernstein. He is running for City Council, Palm Springs City Council, District 2. Jeffrey Bernstein with Joy Silver of Outspoken here at Radio 111. Stand up, fight back. And we'll see you next time. 